1: So at the end of this morning's message, while you're going to get a lot of technicality of doctrine, and I'm going to try to keep it as simple and as light as I can, I want us to exalt the Lord at the end for who he is, the grace, what that does in our life, because he cleaned up the mess that Adam created, that we now have been affected and infected by that very sin that began in the garden. Now, some of you are wondering what fruit he took. I don't believe it was an apple. I believe it was a banana. And the reason I believe it was because it had appeal. That's another story. Let's go back to our message right here. So why is there evil in the world? Let's pick it up again at verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. That word entered is a unique word because when, you'd hear, when you read the word entered into the world, it's like if we uh, took a a basket of paper in here, and we lit it. It, Not so much that this building would burn down, but it wouldn't take long for that smoke to permeate every part of this building. Those of you that have had a fire in your home, while it doesn't really maybe destroy the contents of it, it leaves your house with a smoky smell. So sin entered into humanity through one man, Adam. Now there are different types of explanations about that so I'm going to try to simplify it by giving you the one when I explain how sin entered the world and into Adam to be to be clear for you all. All right? First of all, it wasn't sin was committed by Adam and we do our own separate sins. We do. But we do our own separate sins because of Adam's first sin. There's two aspects of that. You can write it in your margin. The first is Adam entered the world, he didn't enter the world perfect. In other words, Incapable of sinning. When he was created, he was created innocent, which meant he was capable of sinning. And when that opportunity was given to him by Satan slash his wife to disobey God, he then chose to disobey the Lord by taking the forbidden fruit. Now, we can make much over the forbidden fruit that he took... But I think it's far more accurate and better for us to not look at the fruit that he took. That's not the important thing. What the important thing is, God said, do this or don't do this. And he chose to disobey God. The fruit was the issue. But the main issue was he disobeyed the Lord. So now what happened when he committed that sin, then his nature changed that in, into what we might call that sin nature. That, that part of him that was in innocence, that was like innocent lost when he chose then to disobey God. And from then on, that nature of sin he had. Now, as you would study through much of scripture, which again, I don't have a lot of time to unpack this. We would call him the progenitor of the human race. So in other words, everything that began, began with him. In other words, he started with two eyes. We have two eyes physically. He had a nose. We had a nose. He began that. So when he fell and he did that sin, sin was in him. And because it was in him, and we, watch this, here's a big word, seminally, That means we were already in Adam before we were born because from Adam the human race came. So we then took on his sin nature. So he had that nature. We have that nature. So we sin now because of that sin nature as it was in him. So now it's not so much all the sins that we did that is wrong. The problem is we have a sin nature. Now watch this. The sin nature that we have is because of the sin he committed. So because he committed that sin, he was judged by that. We are now judged by that because we sinned in him before we ever sinned. Because we are now in Adam as the first man. So that's why we have sin in the world today. Because Adam chose to disobey and through one man sin entered into the world. So why do people die? We'll go back to the verse. It says, and death through sin and so death spread to all man because all sinned. All right, let's explain that a little bit. At the time that Adam committed the sin, you will remember that he was then, with Eve, found kind of hiding in the garden. And at that moment, there was that separation. And so when you hear the word death, you might want to just remember the term, death means separation. Now that's oversimplified because in scripture, there are three main kinds of death. But I want you to think in death, just generally, as separation. You can have a death of a relationship. Nobody died in it, but there's a separation in that relationship. You can have a death in a job or an employment. Nobody really died on the job. You didn't die on the job, but you got separated from that place of employment. So in a sense, there's a death there. That's why counselors will tell you that you could go through a grieving process when you had something and it was either taken away or it was removed or you lost it. It's not there or simply you're separated from it. But if I go back to Scripture, there are three kinds of death. You might want to look at that and mark that in your little notes that you have there. The first one is called a physical death. When Adam sinned, he physically died. Now, what he didn't do is he didn't die right on the spot, but he did die. There wasn't death, physical death, until he died. So we know that people die. Uh, Many of you have been to funerals. We have those that have, and I don't need to hammer that. But once they're dead, there's that separation. Now, technically, that separation at physical death, watch this now, is when your body... Separates from your soul and your spirit At physical death Your soul and spirit does not die There's no physical death of soul and spirit There is a death of the physical Of the body I often uh, humorously And when I have the appropriate place Will tell the story about Carol She says when, when Stan dies If he dies before me And we're looking at his casket I'm going to lean over to the person next to me And I'm going to say to that person That's just the shell The real nut's gone And in a sense, that's what we're talking about. The real nut, the soul and the spirit, is separating from the body. That is the first death, physical death. The second kind of death is called a spiritual death. Now, spiritual death is already inclined because you are born spiritually dead. We are already born separated from God. We are separated from the spirit life of eternity with God. We know that because, first of all, going back to what I said earlier, we are in Adam, and by being in Adam, we all die because he brought the moral ruin of the human race because of his sin. We all sin in Adam. So we inherit that sin nature. So we are born with that sin nature. We are born already separated from him. If you want to, you can hold your place in Romans and go very quickly to Ephesians chapter 2 because this is important, especially when we talk about being saved and doing good works and things like that in light of the fact that we were born spiritually dead. So look, if you will, Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. The entire context would be good to take time to go through, and you might want to do that, would be verses 1 through verse 10. But particularly look at verse 1, and it says... And by the way, let me tell you who it is. It's Paul writing to the Ephesian believers. So he's writing to Christians, those that have already trusted Christ. So he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So let me make that clear to you. The reason he says you were dead is because when they trusted Christ as Savior, we'll see in a moment, they were made alive. So they were spiritually dead. They were spiritually separated. They were spiritually apart from God. But when they trusted Christ, they were made alive Now it says they were dead in their trespasses and sin. Now let me make this clear. In this context, it's not talking about the fact that I am now spiritually dead because I have committed a litany of trespasses. I am spiritually separated from God now as a result of me making choices that are trespasses and transgressions. This term is best understood that because of my nature I am born dead and because of that I am doing transgressions. So in my transgressions and in my sin, this whole scope and arena of a life that is filled with wickedness based upon the nature that I have, so I was dead in trespasses and sins. Now as you go through here, you're going to see how that the Lord steps in with His grace and His mercy to save. And you get back to verse 8 that says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So look up here one more time. We have the nature of sin, therefore we sin. We will be judged for that. At the same time, because Jesus Christ is perfect, he died and he rose again. And by my faith alone in him, that now will trump that nature where I'm now given a new nature and I'm forgiven. So I was dead in trespasses and sins, and I'm no longer... Now, a moment ago, I said, how does that factor into salvation? This is very important now. There are those that will tell you that in order for you to be saved, that you're a sinner, you need a Savior. The best way to do that is to do either one. Live a better life so that the Lord will save you. And so they'll try to tell you, you have to make them Lord. You've got to change here. You've got to do this. Turn from that. Turn to that. Do something in some measure in order for you to come to faith in Christ or do something with your faith in Christ. The problem with that is, is that when we're born dead, that means we're born dead. Dead means we are powerless. That means we cannot do any good deed that will ever please the Lord. In fact, Scripture says there's only one deed that pleases the Lord, and that would be our faith. So when we place our faith in Christ, that gives us eternal life. So one thing we don't want to do is front load the gospel by doing some good deeds, thinking that will help us. One, we cannot. Here's a phrase. You cannot get a dead man to dance. So you can't get a dead person to do anything. They're just dead. And that's why it says he quickens us. He makes us alive. It's by his sovereign choice and act and power when we trust him as our savior. That happens because of him. The other side of that is some say, all right, when you are good, God will give you special grace. And when you get special grace, then you're going to believe. Then you'll be able to be good to keep your salvation. All of that still doesn't work because we're dead in trespasses and sins. And once he makes us alive, he then keeps us alive because we can never become unalive once we've trusted Christ as Savior. So that's why we say here again, spiritual death. We're born spiritually dead. And for us to have eternal life, we have to be made alive. Now, the third type of death, and that's going to be the kind of death that's called eternal death. And that's the worst kind. It starts out, you know, with spiritual death, but then it moves to the worst kind. And that's going to be eternal death. Now, in Scripture, it talks about those that when they die, and they die without Christ, they will spend eternity separated from God. If you wouldn't mind, you can leave Ephesians, stay in Romans for a moment, but flip very quickly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'd like to explain to you the worst part, in my opinion, about dying unsaved with eternal death. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at the end, if you will, of verse 8. It talks about Who's going to suffer this eternal death? Chapter 1, verse 8, the last part of 2 Thessalonians. It says, Those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These, referring to those who do not obey the gospel. By the way, obeying the gospel doesn't mean obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying spiritual laws, obeying certain principles, obeying whatever God might say. No, it says obey the gospel. And the gospel says... Jesus died and rose again, and you believe in Christ. So to obey Christ and obey the gospel is to place your faith alone in Him. You need to do that. But it says those who do not do that, they will pay the penalty of, here it is, eternal destruction. That would be eternal death. And then it says, away from the presence of the Lord. That's the separation for eternity in destruction, away from the Lord and from the glory of His power. So if I could say it very simply, it would be this. The worst part about being in hell isn't going to be necessarily that you're separated from your family and friends. The worst part about hell is not going to be the excruciating pain of the the flame of hell and the damnation. The worst part about hell isn't necessarily going to be all of that and the duration of hell. The very worst part about hell is going to be being separated from the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory forever. So when Adam messed up, he messed up big time. He brought about physical death. He brought about spiritual death. He brought about eternal death. So he really messed up. So sometimes for us to really see the glorious gospel and the grace of the Lord, we have to see the despicableness of the sin of the wickedness of Satan. And when we do that and we embrace Christ, we have that spirit of rejoicing and joy. So again, that's why people die, because of the sin of Adam. And it's now passed down to us. So why is there sin in the world? Well, again, it says because death is now spread to mankind. We have it. It goes from generation to generation. So why does human nature uh, never change? It's because that's the nature of it. Um, Let's see if I can say it this way. We have a dog named Koa. Some of you met Koa. It's a cute little dog. Sometimes he yaps a little bit more than I like him to. In fact, I don't mind when he barks. It's just when you're sound asleep. And so he'll just like that. I did that to wake some of you up. I did that because last night I went to bed real tired. It was a long day yesterday and I was just falling asleep and just as I did like this and so I you know I kind of growl myself like this and my sweet wife the fourth person of the Trinity she leans over and she says well Stan that's that's just what a dog does. They They just bark when they hear a noise. That's just what they do And you know what? She is so theologically right. They bark. That's what they do. Now, why am I telling you that? It's because sinful men with that nature, that's just what we do. We sin. And that's why it spreads. Like an apple tree is not an apple tree when it bears apples. It's an apple tree. And because it's an apple tree, it will bear apples. But it's an apple tree before it bears apples because it's an apple tree. I'm a sinner. Therefore, I will do transgressions and trespasses and things like that because that's my very nature. And I will be judged for that apart from Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful that He is in my life and He has forgiven me of all of that. Well, the next question is, what about those people who have never heard? Well, let's go to verse 13 of Romans now. We're going to stay down Romans chapter 5, verse 13. Let's look over there now. What about this? It says here, So death spread to all men because all sinned. They all sinned in Adam is what it's saying. But until the law, sin was in the world. No, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now you're reading that and that sounds like gobbledygook. For until the law, that means the Mosaic law, make it real simple, the Ten Commandments, although it was more than that, sin was in the world. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed or reckoned when there is no law. Now when you stop at that, you're going to say, there's no way I could ever make any sense out of that. That's why when you're doing Bible study, what's important for you to do is to read the context, to read what comes before it, What comes after it? What came before it is that Adam brought sin into the world. So sin is here, obviously, because it came in before that, before the law was here. Some people think that only sin occurred when the law was here because now you have a set of rules to break. The Jewish people had a big issue with that because they thought the law was there as a good means by which we live so we can maybe honor God and do some good works and please Him. When in reality, all that the law did was to reveal to the Jewish people how wicked their sinful nature was and how many transgressions that they'll be making. So the law was really to show them how bad they were, to point them to a Messiah to save them. So back to the passage. Go to verse 14 now, because the answer is found in verse 14. It says here, for until the law sin was in the world, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, stay with me. Don't, don't drift because it's going to get important here for you to understand. Because Adam was the sin, he committed the sin, and he had that sin nature, and all are in Adam, sin was already present before the law was instituted. We already know that because we know the Tower of Babel. After Adam... They disobeyed the Lord. The Lord told them to scatter. They decided to build the Tower of Babel and gather instead of scatter. They disobeyed God. There wasn't the Ten Commandments, wasn't the law, but built within them was that nature that they received from Adam that was already apart from God. So they did what they wanted to do in their own eyes, humanity. And so we have that. You move a little bit further throughout history, and you're going to find very simply, I'm not going to go through all the events, but Sodom and Gomorrah. While there was not a law, there was a law written in their hearts, the Bible said, and they disobeyed God. And you can find that through many different illustrations before the law was given. So even if there wasn't a law, man was already a sinner by nature. They were already a sinner because they were disobeying the, law, uh, disobeying the Lord. So sin began at Adam and was just kind of propelling forward, and the law just made it worse because it identified the real nature that was evident there. Here's an illustration. Someone sent me... Um, A little thing on my phone through Facebook, and I don't always stop at this, but it was a friend of mine, and I felt like he's going to ask me, Did you see it? Then I got to say, I don't do this kind of stuff, and I didn't want to get into all of that. You ever been there, anybody? All right. And what this was was a picture, a little video, of a box bigger than the pulpit. And on the front of the box was a sign, and the sign says, Do not look in this window. It was an open window. Do not look in this window. And they had one of these hidden cameras out there, and people would go up, they would look at the box, not paying attention until they saw the sign that said, do not look in that window. And they showed these people, look into the window, and as soon as they looked in the window, there was a man inside with a pie that smashed him in the face. And they would do this over and over, and people would be falling back and all of that as they were getting smashed with this pie. Why am I telling you that story? Because within our nature is the nature sometimes to just do the opposite of what we're told to do or not to do. And it was really evident in that. And so as the law came about, it began to reveal to us again how bad we are. So again, it's all over the place and it's our very nature to do that. So what about people who have never heard about the Bible or the rest? Are they exonerated from that? Listen carefully. They are not. Because they have the sin nature, even if they've never heard about the Bible, they've never heard about Christ, they've never heard that they are a sinner, they still are a sinner. Now what does that do for you and me? That then, again, reminds us who are Christians that we are still under the mandate to take the precious message of the gospel globally. Globally that we need to penetrate into people groups that don't even have their language understood or translated into a, a written fashion. These are people that are still sinners that still need the gospel. They still need to come to faith alone in Christ. There are Christians that understand the teachings of God's word. They've given their life to go to those people because they are still, as scripture said, we've learned this before, without excuse. Now, their level of, condemnation in hell might not be the same as those that had a lot more light that rejected it. It also may be the same that for those people that even though they're out in the jungle and all those places, they don't realize so much that they're a biblical sinner, but they still know that within their heart they have that conscience, that guilt, and God still says to them they need to trust Christ. And whoever they are, man, woman, boy, or girl, if they have a desire to know truth, watch this now, God will reveal truth to whoever that people group person would be that's seeking the Lord. I'll say it more simply. No one is in hell who is not supposed to be there. There is no one in hell who if they would have heard the gospel and would have trusted Christ, would have been placed there just because they didn't hear the gospel. The mandate is we take the gospel out because everyone is underneath the blanket of sin by nature and by choice. So again, that's happening. Now the question then kind of speeds up a little bit because we begin to ask the question, what about babies, and what about those that are the simple minded, uh, the mentally challenged type people, those that don't have the capacity to do that? Now that would be something very interesting for you to go a little bit deeper, that those of you that want to get into some um, uh, debate. There are some great Bible scholars that would say that Even babies who have not trusted Christ to save Had not had the opportunity to grow up That there will be those that actually would not spend eternity in heaven Now that may be very horrible for you to hear I do want you to know that there is a teaching out there Because God knows those who are his Those who would have been his And should they needed to trust Christ They would have grown up to have that opportunity to do that Does that baby go to hell? Not necessarily the soul and spirit does But not a little innocent baby They're still sinners We already know that That's one teaching You ought to go and do some study on that the other teaching comes from two other passages of the Scripture that sees God a different, from a different perspective on grace, even though they might sin. The two passages they use, one is coming from the Old Testament, where you remember that David committed sin with Bathsheba by creating a scheme where her husband would die after he had sexual relations with her and found out that she was pregnant. And then he was told that that baby was going to die, so he just wept and cried and with anguish, just pleading that the baby would not die, wouldn't eat, let his hair grow, wouldn't shower as they would do in a grieving uh, state before God. But when the baby finally died and he was told that, he quietly got up, cleaned up, and then walked toward the baby. And when he did all of that, those who, were, those who were around him began to ask him and said, uh, hey, you're all this way, weeping and crying, and now you're this way. And he said, well, back then I was praying that basically the baby would live, but now that the baby is not, um, the baby can't come to me, but I can go to the baby. And already believing that David believed in the coming Messiah and that he had a relationship with the Lord for eternity by faith, that uh, he would then see the baby in heaven. Some people interpret that passage meaning, well, now that the baby is dead, I will go see the dead baby. You have to go look at that and decide that on your own. The second passage that they use is coming from Psalm 116, verse 6 through 9. And in that passage, it talks about this. And let me read it to you very quickly. It says, the Lord preserves the simple. And they're, they're believing that what God does, he will protect or preserve the simple, referring to those that, watch this, do not have the ability to know right from wrong, do not have the ability then to know that they need a Savior. They are so simple-minded, whether it's a little child, infant, or whether it's someone who has a mental challenge in their life. So what the Lord will do, he will preserve those under a special stage of grace. And they believe that. And so they would say in that case they would be saved. Then you get really far down the river on this, and you'll see major religions here, Roman Catholic being one, that they believe that with the original sin, that that original sin that Adam committed could be washed away through baptism. And that's why, beginning with the Roman Catholics, they do a lot of infant baptism, and you kind of spread that around, and it begins to morph on different beliefs from different groups, thinking in some way baptism is linked to the cleansing of that sin, because they cannot you know, come to faith in the Lord or connect to the Lord in any religious way, so God then sovereignly does it through the baptismal regeneration method. Now, I don't believe that for a minute. There's nowhere in Scripture does it say that. There's no illustrations of that in Scripture. It was just something that they took up. I believe the real answer is going to come in the rest of our passage this morning. And the reason being is that while Adam messed up, watch this, I cannot clean up. A preacher can't clean it. A priest can't clean it up. No human being could ever clean up the extent of damage that was done by Adam's sin. And because that sin was so bad and the Lord hates sin so much that it so permeated humanity in its very core of humanity that the only person who could clean that sin up is going to be none other than God Himself who set the standard